Thank you, Paul. I'm excited about the building, aren't you? We need it. It's going to be awesome. I'm also excited about 2021. Anybody else ready to wave goodbye to 2020? Yes, yes. You know, this is a great way to spend the end of the year together here at church with other believers and just focusing on him and a great way to start the new year. So I'm blessed to be able to speak to you this morning. I feel humbled and privileged. And of course, Pastor Scott in all Pastor Scott fashion texted me and told me not to embarrass him. So I'm going to do my best to honor that request. And also Heather and Perry offered to pay for my lunch if I let you guys out on time. So no pressure this morning. I just feel really overwhelmed. I hope I can do all this. Um, but anyway, um, another thing that Pastor Scott wanted me to update everybody on is our church in India. Um, if you didn't know that, we do have a church in India that we support and really help there. And, you know, what's really awesome is we can say that we have a church in India, not just Church at Briargate. We are part of Church at Briargate. And so there is a work going on over there that we have our hands in and that we are very much a part of. We support them financially as well in, in many other ways as well. And so on December the 21st, they had a Christmas service there. They had almost 250 people, which is awesome. And, um, and he said uh, around 30 people or so came forward for prayer um, to pray with the pastors. So that's awesome. We just really need to keep those people in prayer and pray that they really get rooted and grounded and, um, you know, as they start their Christian walk and pray that they become true disciples of Christ and that they plug into this church and they come back for the Sunday morning services there. So in your prayer time, keep the church in India in your prayers, keep those pastors in your prayers, and of course the people that are attending there and that are coming to Christ and that more will come in. So it's awesome to be a part of that. As I was, um, as I was really studying this week, um, preparing for today, I just really felt the Holy Spirit drawing me to just a deeper place in him. You know, we are living in some dark and evil times. I don't have to tell you that. It's really obvious. We're living in some dark and evil times, but there is nothing new under the sun. The devil is a one-trick pony, and the stuff he's doing now is the exact same stuff he has been doing since the very beginning. He's a one-trick pony. And so when we realize that and we stay spiritually minded, we can see things for what they really are. And the Bible and the Word, which is what we are to live by, the highest authority in our lives, it was just as relevant, it's just as relevant today as when it was written and all of these things were taking place. God has called us, His people, we are His people, He has called us to be separate. He has called us to be pure and He has called us to be holy. Um, to, to be holy means to be consecrated to God and worthy of, he is worthy of complete devotion from us, complete devotion. And he commands us to be holy all throughout scripture. We see where he says, be holy for I am holy. And he tells us to be pure. Um, holiness means perfect in goodness and righteousness. To be pure means not mixed with or not adulterated with any other material or substance and free from contamination. Not mixed with or adulterated with any other material 
or substance and free from contamination. In Matthew, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. In Timothy, Paul was talking to Timothy, who was like his protege in ministry. He was teaching and training him, and Timothy was a pastor and a fellow minister in, uh, with Paul. And Paul told him, and he's a believer, okay? Don't take part. Don't take part in the sins of others. He said, keep yourself pure, Timothy. He said again in Timothy, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So that tells me you need to be hanging out with people who also have a pure heart, who are pure in heart, not adulterated with other substances, right? He told Titus, to the pure, all things are pure. So when we have a pure heart and a pure mind, that's the lens that we see life through. That's how we see things. That's how we interpret things. John said, everyone who hopes in God purifies himself as God is pure. Paul was talking to the Corinthians. Now, the Corinthian church was a mess. They were, a pag- they were among a bunch of pagans. They lived... Uh, in a really sinful area, and there were these temple prostitutes who would come down at night, and they would, you know, people in the church were visiting these prostitutes. They were mingling um, with the pagan ways, and Paul was bringing correction to the Corinthian church. There were there was incest going on in the Corinthian church. There was just some crazy, crazy stuff, and so Paul, when he's addressing the Corinthians, when you read First and Second Corinthians. He's correcting or he's teaching them sound doctrine and teaching them the gospel, and he's also bringing correction to a lot of their lifestyle. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. So that means what's going on on the inside is also um, important, just as more important, really, Um, bringing holiness to completion, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God, in the fear of God. Let's not lose our reverence and awe and fear of God, not like he's some harsh, you know, being, but he's God. He's God and he's holy and he is to be revered, reverenced, and feared. Um, Paul told the Thessalonians, God has not called us for impurity, but for holiness. So Paul, uh, the disciples, and Jesus are talking to these people everywhere. So this is a common issue that's having to be addressed everywhere in all these various churches. He said in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You know, back in the Old Testament, um, when the Israelites were called out to be separate and to be a nation of their own, some things were set in order. Um, There was a a ritual. There were things that they had to do. Um, A cleansing had to take place before they could even be in proximity, any kind of proximity with God, because God's presence requires holiness. All right, we're going to read 2 Peter um, in chapter 3 together. I think this starts in in verse 10. I don't know if 10's up there. This is in the NLT, but the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, 
and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around you is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should you live? Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you're waiting for these to happen, we're waiting, right? While you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. So how we live matters, right? Pastor Scott talked a few weeks back about um, when God is, Jesus said, I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. Matthew 25, Jesus said in the end, all the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate the sheep from the goats. We're living in a world. We are submerged in this world surrounded by evil and wickedness. We're living in a world where the wheat and the tares are growing up together. And yet God has called us to be separate. So we're in the midst of it all. He's called us to be separate. So how do we do that? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. In Matthew 13, Jesus taught a parable about the wheat and the tares. And wheat or tares is something that resembles, it's a weed that resembles wheat. And so Jesus was telling this parable, the farmer plants the wheat, and at night the enemy comes in and plants the weeds of the tares, these seeds of the weeds, in amongst all of the wheat. And you can't even tell and you can't even see it that it's all mixed in together until they start growing up together. They were mixed in. We have to guard against mixture. There's a lot of warnings about this in the Bible. We have to guard against mixture, and we have to strive for purity and holiness. So strive, it means it's not easy. We have to work for it. We have to intentionally pursue holiness. We have to intentionally pursue purity. It's something that we have to strive for, especially in a day and age where we are surrounded by so much evil, and we often feel like the minority. We have to strive for it. And I'm not talking about our salvation or how we get saved. Um, but the devil, so John 10, 10, we know that the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give life and to give it more abundantly, right? But so Jesus comes, I, I'm here to give you life, choose life. We choose life, and then we think it's one and done. No, there is an enemy. The body of Christ has an adversary. We individually have an adversary, and he is here to steal, kill, and to destroy. And so just because you choose life doesn't mean you can't pay, you quit paying attention to everything else around you, and you just live carte blanche and haphazardly. Um, no, the devil is a thief and he wants to steal that life that Jesus has given us. And so we have to be on guard. The Bible says that he who endures to the end will be saved. So we have to stay strong to the finish. Psalm 106, David uh, talking about the Israelites. 
It says, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. Something that God commanded the Israelites from the very beginning when they were established as a nation. They were called to be separate. They were called to be different. They were called to do things differently. And they were, they were instructed by God not to intermarry with foreign nations who served other gods. Whenever they were on their way to the promised land, God told them to subdue and take uh, different people groups, and some of them, he had them wipe, told them to wipe them completely out, but they often didn't obey God completely, and they would leave people and intermarry with them and then start to adopt their practices and their mindsets. So David says in Psalms 106, they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. Thus, they became unclean by their acts, and they played the whore in their deeds. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and he abhorred his heritage. It says he abhorred his heritage, and it said that um, God said they played the whore in their deeds. A whore is someone who gives herself to everyone, right? And that is how God viewed the actions of the Israelites. And God said in Hebrews, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So let's look at Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 11. We're going to look at Solomon together. Now Solomon was the third king of Israel. We had um, Saul, then David, and then Solomon was David's son. Uh, when he rose to the throne, God gave him the opportunity to request whatever he wanted from him. Because Solomon knew that he could not rule God's people in righteousness without the help of God. So God said, ask me for anything, and he asked for wisdom, right? We see humility in that. He knew that he couldn't do it on his own. Um, and that pleased God. Solomon wrote Proverbs and Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes. He was a great king. He loved the Lord. He was smart. He reigned for 40 years. He was crazy rich. Um, the beginning of his reign was awesome, and he was the wisest man ever until he wasn't. <laughs> and he did not finish like he started. He was drawn away by his own. King Solomon, Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 11. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord said, um, to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn your heart after their gods. God's warning him, surely they're going to turn your heart after their gods. And remember, Solomon was a godly man. It says, Solomon clung to these in love. Have you ever been in love? <laughs> Have you ever been in love where you're just so in love and so... You know, puppy dog love, you just can't even see straight. No, nobody here has been that way. Marcus, you better say yes. <laughs> okay, Solomon loved these women, okay? He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. That is 1,000 women. <laughs> yeah, wow, in his life, 1,000 women. He loved them all. And it says... His wives turned away his heart. Now, I'm just going to pause here for a second, and I'm going to refer to this book, and I'm going to come back to that. I bought this um, just talking about the power of a woman. 
I bought this little book on Amazon called Becoming a Woman of Discretion, and I'm going to have my daughters read it too. Um, I'm going to read you just a little excerpt out of this. This is, this is crazy. Okay, now this is quoting John Adams, the second president of the United States. So this is a long time ago. Like I said, devil is a one-trick pony. John Adams, the second president of the United States, recognized the incredible influence of women not only on their own homes, but on the entire character of a nation. This is now quoting him. From all that I have read of history and government and human life and manners, I have drawn this conclusion, that the manners of women were the most infallible barometer to ascertain the degree of morality and virtue of a nation. The Jews, the Greeks, the Romans, the Swiss, the Dutch all lost their public spirit and their republican forms of government when they lost the modesty and domestic virtues of their women. Wow. And I always tell my kids that modest is hottest, (laughs) and I hope they pass that on. (laughs) Um, Okay, so power of a woman. They, Solomon, um, his wives turned away his heart just like God told him it would. For when Solomon was old, okay, he was old when he's doing all this. Um, You know, we think young people, they're just young and stupid or whatever. No, he was old doing all this. His wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not holy to the Lord his God. It was partly to the Lord his God. I believe Solomon still loved God, still acknowledged who God was, but he was also dabbling and mixing with these other, uh, with these foreign women who were serving other gods. As was the heart, um, he was not wholly true to his God like his father David. Now David, we know, was not without sin, but he was quick to repent. David had a repentant heart. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did not wholly, completely follow the Lord, as David his father had done. Then Solomon built, this is crazy, then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, for Moloch, the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. So Solomon, because he had more money than he knew what to do with, started building all these foreign wives, he had a bunch of them, started building them all temples so they could go and worship They're gods. He's doing that with the money that God gave him. This is crazy. And then it says, The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Wasn't God, God didn't just send, you know, a messenger um, and just said, Hey, you really shouldn't be doing this. No, God, God appeared to him twice. And commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. And then you can go back and read the rest of the story. But basically, because of Solomon's sin, the, uh, the kingdom of Israel was divided into two kingdoms after that. Caused all kinds of problems. Uh, he had everything. He started so great, and he did great things, but his end was not the same because of mixture. He was mixing in with the pagans. He let his guard down. He let his guard down. Marcus and I, when we were talking about 
this story the other day, uh, just kind of pondering some of the ways of Solomon to see what we can take away from this. It's like, you know, I wonder if he got bored or, you know, he had, he had everything at his fingertips. There were no boundary lines for him. There was no accountability for him. He just, he lived such a self-indulgent life. Perhaps he got bored. I mean, what else am I going to do? You know, um, I don't know. But um, we can learn a lot from him. Idolatry, when we think of the word idolatry, um, you know, we think it's such like an ancient Bible word because, you know, you're never going to find a golden calf in here. None of us are ever going to go out and do that or just worship Buddha or anything so blatantly obvious like that. But idolatry is simply extreme admiration or love for something or reverence for something or someone in place of God. God, he wants to be our number one. Matthew uh, 22 talks about love the Lord your God with all your heart, heart, mind, soul, and strength. Basically, love him with your entire being. He is to be our number one. He's the foundation of our existence. He, everything we do, everything we do is about him. Um, that's why we're here, right? And so idolatry is really when we just elevate anything above that place and God, um, above the Lord. Solomon started off great. He got overly confident and self-sufficient. You know, sometimes, especially like a lot of us who maybe have grown up in church or, you know, we know a lot or, you know, we know the word, we've been coming to church forever or whatever the situation may be, there is a danger in that because we get really comfortable in just knowing and we think knowing is enough, but it's not, right? Um, we have to live offensively and live ready because we live in a world surrounded by rebellion, rebellious attitudes. Um, it's everywhere. We live in this world surrounded by rebellion, surrounded by sensuality, surrounded by licentiousness, which is basically just living without restraint. Um, it's everywhere we look. It's um, on TV. It's on commercials. It's on the radio. It's, you know, it's creeping in. It's not just in the world, but there's a lot of these things um, in the church at large and in the body of Christ. So we have to be ready over and over and over in Scripture. You have to, um, we see these warnings. And I did this study not too long ago, just on my own, and I looked up every reference I could possibly find that said something along the lines of um, be alert, stay awake, be on guard, stay on guard, um, don't be deceived, uh, don't be led astray. And I hand wrote all of those scriptures out that I could possibly find, and there are a ton of them. So many warnings we see. And it's just like a big flag, you know, God's waving, a big red flag saying, stay alert, be on guard. Okay, I'm going to read out of Proverbs 4, 23 uh, through 27. They're going to put it up there, and that's the NLT, but I'm going to read it out of the uh, ESV because I kind of like that. I like the way it words it a little bit better. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance. Okay, that's a command. Keep your heart or guard your heart with all vigilance. To be vigilant is to keep careful watch for possible danger or difficulty. So if you're keeping your heart, keeping your life, you're guarding it from danger, right? Keep your heart with all vigilance, for out of it flow the springs of life. Put away from you, okay, hold on. What's really ironic here is Solomon wrote this. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's just really funny. He needs to heed, heed his own warning, right? 
Um, Put away from you crooked speech and devious talk. Let your eyes look directly before you and your gaze be straight before you and ponder the path of your feet. Basically, pay attention to where you're going. Really consider your path. Think about what you're doing before you do it. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. And then Solomon says, don't swerve to the right and don't swerve to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Turn your foot away from evil. To be vigilant, keeping watch, and protecting something from danger or difficulties. We're vigilant about keeping our home safe, right? We lock our doors. We have alarm systems. We lock our cars. Um, A few years ago, we went to uh, Rotenburg, Germany. I don't know if anybody here has ever been to Rotenburg. It's a really cool little town. And so this town has a wall a big wall surrounding the entire uh, town where you, and you can actually walk along the top of the wall and that's where the watchmen used to walk. And so there were watchmen who would constantly um, walk that wall looking for enemies and being on high alert um, in case enemies coming, then they blow the trumpet and you know people get ready for, for battle. And so I just was thinking about that. It's like kind of, you know, that's how we are supposed to guard. We're supposed to like be watchmen over our own lives and over the lives of others. Paul was talking to the church in Ephesus in the book of Ephesians, and he said, praying at all times in the Spirit. So basically live your life in an attitude of prayer, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with with perseverance. Keep alert alert with perseverance. You have to stay alert, Paul was telling them, making supplication for all the saints because we're responsible for each other. It's important for us to pray for each other too. We are our brother's keeper, right? Um, Peter was talking here in 1 Peter 1.13. He said, therefore, preparing your minds for action. When you prepare, you're planning ahead, right? Preparing ahead. Prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded, basically being serious, set your hope fully, completely wholly on the grace that will um, be brought you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We got to keep our head in the game. Watch and pray. This is in Mark. This is Jesus talking. Jesus said, watch and pray that you might not enter into temptation. Watch and pray. He's warning them. Watch and pray that you might not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I mean, how many can relate with that? It's like when I go to the movies and I like tell myself I'm not going to eat any popcorn. And then you get a whiff of it. It's like my spirit was willing, but my flesh was very weak. Um, Watch and pray. Okay, I'm going to read this out of Mark 13. Because this is Jesus talking. So we really want to pay attention. Mark 13. Okay, it says here, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven know, nor the Son of Man, only the Father. Okay, this is Jesus. Be on guard. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each one according to his work. He commands the doorkeeper. He tells the doorkeeper, stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you don't know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And then I say to you, 
Again, to all, stay awake. Those are the words of Jesus. He said that several times just in that small passage. And then also in Luke. I'm going to read this. Luke. Again, Jesus talking in chapter 12. He said, Jesus said, stay dressed for action. Stay dressed. Stay ready for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their masters to come home from the wedding feast so that they might open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks, being ready. Blessed are the servants whom the master finds awake um, when he comes. Again, talking to Paul was talking to the church in Corinth who had all kinds of issues. He said, be watchful, stand firm in the faith and act like men, be strong. Jesus said again in Luke 21, but watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. Be watchful for the cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake. Again, Jesus is saying it again. Stay awake at all times, praying that you might have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. When you're on guard, you're guarding something, you are protecting it. Right? So if he's telling us to be on guard, to stay awake, to stay alert, we're supposed to be protecting the gift that God has given us, protecting the life that God has given us, protecting our way, pondering our path. Right? Okay, Psalm uh, 119, verse 9. David said, How can a young man keep his way pure? That seems hard, doesn't it? How can a young man keep his way pure? And then he says, by guarding it according to your word. Now, everything that we watch, everything that we listen to, everything that we read is discipling us. It's discipling us, whether we realize it or not. And boy, the devil, he is subtle. So we are being discipled by our environment and being influenced by it. And God is calling us up higher. When I was studying for this, man, I just felt so challenged by the Holy Spirit. I just felt him calling me to just come up higher and live at a higher level and a higher place with him. And like I said, this isn't about how you get saved or your salvation. You can't earn that. But there is a place in God that you can't go without living right and without holiness, right? God's calling us higher. That's where we experience more of his presence. We sing, oh, I want more, I want more. Well, that's how you do it. Um, it's dangerous to live with one foot in and one foot out. Uh, we can't have intimacy with God and intimacy with the world and friendship with the world at the same time. It's just light and darkness don't mix. And uh, I have a couple of uh, accountability partners that I walk with and pray with on Fridays. And it started out really where we were just praying for our kids because parenting in this day and age is not easy. <laughs> and, um, you know, like I said, nothing new under the sun. You know, we're all dealing with a lot of the same things. And then also we want to be good parents. And so, and, you know, godly women. And so it started out just praying for our kids, but we, we talk about all kinds of things. We hold each other accountable. We ask for prayer for each other and we pray together and we pray for our children, our families, our husbands. And all those things. And um, one of my friends was talking about how it's important to, to be prepared 
and you know, like to talk to our kids about this too, and which I plan on doing. I haven't yet. But we're going to talk about every scenario we can possibly come up with and think about so that they have a response prepared before it even presents itself. So somebody comes and offers them a joint they've already thought about. They're not like off the cuff trying to figure it out right there in the moment. They are prepared about what they're going to say and how they're going to deal with it and how they're going to process it and how, what's right and what's wrong. We're going to talk about all these things. That's called accountability. That's called personal boundaries and having personal boundaries. And a lot of times we just don't have them or we just don't think about those things. And then we, you know, then we just deal with it when it presents itself. And then we're often like fumbling around trying to figure out what to do or how to get out of this situation. It's like, what are you going to, we're at a, a stage in our parenting right now where our kids have boyfriends and girlfriends. And there's a lot that comes with that. You know, we're trying to figure out how to do it right and how to do it to honor God in, in the best God-honoring way. It's like, okay, let's talk about this. What are you going to do when you're alone? What are you going to do when no one's watching? Integrity is doing what's right just because it's right when no one's looking, right? So I sense the Lord is calling us to, um, is calling me anyway, to have clearer boundaries in my life, to think about these different things, to hold myself accountable um, and I love where Paul said, I think he was talking to the church in Corinth, he was talking to one of the churches, and he said, take heed when you stand, lest you fall. Basically, pay attention. Don't think that you're above temptation, because nobody, nobody is. Take heed when you stand, lest you fall. God's called us to be separate. Romans 12, 2, he said, don't be conformed to this world. They were having the same issues then that we have now. Don't be conformed. We're surrounded by them. Wheat and the tares are growing up together, but don't conform to this world, we're called to be separate. Peter said, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We've been called to live differently. Back then, when God called them out to be a nation, they were called to worship differently. They were called to have different rules. They were called, they had different processes than any other nation. They were called to be separate. And so are we. He called us out of darkness into this marvelous light. It's like you can't, light and darkness have no fellowship. So we're called out of something and into something, into something else. Um, you know, we learn a lot from the Old Testament where they were mixing with other nations. God warns us about mixture. Um, Paul said to the Corinthians, what fellowship does light have with darkness? Go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. You can't have intimacy with God and be friends with the world at the same time. So we're called to be separate. Separate from what exactly? You know, this is just a reminder to us all to stay alert, stay awake, be on guard, guard our hearts with all vigilance because there is an enemy and he's after our soul. He's after our purity. He's after our holiness and he's after our relationship with God. And he's roaming around uh, like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's looking for someone asleep. He's looking for people not paying attention. He's looking for people um, who are just not on guard, looking for people with their guard down. So it says in Scripture here in um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, But understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. There will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive. These are things we're called to be separate from. Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, 
brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. He said, he's warning Timothy, and he says, having the appearance of godliness. So it's not obvious. It's not obvious. They look the same. Having the appearance of godliness. But they got all this other junk going on in their lives. And he said, avoid such people. Uh, this is Jesus praying in John, John 17. And I mean, I would think that Jesus would know exactly what to pray for, right? He said, I do not ask you, Father, I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. Because he knew we were going to be facing the evil. He knew we, there was one, right? Keep, I ask that you keep them from the evil one. They're not of this world, just as like I'm not of this world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so I love where David said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my pathway. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's why we have to really stay in the word and then get together in bodies like this every week. And, um, you know, and these are the kinds of people that we're doing life with and hanging out with because it absolutely affects every part of our life. It influences us. And, um, you know, it says, I think it's in Hebrews that says, forsake not yourselves, the, uh, the assemblings together of one another. And when the evil day approaches, do it all the more because we need it. Um, so John 17, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And I've been praying that over my kids. God, keep them from the evil one. Protect my kids, protect me, protect my husband, protect my family, protect my friends, protect our church, because we do have an enemy. And the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are not two different gods. They're the same one. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the things that bothered him then still bother him now. Yes, we're under this dispensation of grace. We live under grace. And thank God for the blood of Jesus um, that's cleansed us. But that doesn't mean that we just, you know, live however we want. We have to have some personal accountability. Um, you know, Solomon, his sin divided the kingdom. His flesh was out of control. I mean, I know sometimes my flesh gets out of control. It's just like when you've got, like if, if you're driving a car and you take your hands off the wheel and you're not steering it somewhere on purpose, if your hands aren't on the wheel, your car is slowly veering off the road. And sometimes I even see that with myself when I'm not really intentionally having personal boundaries and, and holding myself accountable to things. I find myself kind of going rogue in my thoughts, like allowing myself to think whatever I want to think or say whatever I want to say or be offensive to whoever I want to be offensive to, not really holding myself accountable. And, and it's scary when you get to a place where you don't feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit anymore. You know, I never want to get to that place. Uh, Solomon's flesh was out of control. It's like, you know, being at an all-you-can-eat buffet. <laughs> it's hard to uh, have your boundaries there, which reminds me of my son Max at Halloween. Um, this past year, he was trick-or-treating. Don't throw stones at me. They went trick-or-treating, <laughs> and he came back with this giant, I mean giant trash bag full of candy. He had more candy than everyone, and he just dumped it all out and was just like really proud of his, his spoil. And I was like, Max, this is ridiculous. He said, Mom, I can't be trusted. He said, these people put a bowl of candy on their porch with a sign that says, please take one. And that is a lot to expect from a kid. <laughs> like, well, that is valid. Um, that's valid. So 
All the candy in the neighborhood was at my house. Um, but it was the lure of, of Solomon's flesh and just the, the appetite for the world and the worldliness and the pagan ways that led to his downfall, his love for women led to a divided heart. No doubt he loved God. He just loved women too. There was mixture. And we are called to not have mixture and to love God only. Never underestimate the, de the desires of the flesh. Remember, take heed when you stand, lest you fall. Never underestimate the desires of our flesh. None of us are exempt. The flesh and the spirit are antagonistic to each other. They want the opposite things. They want the opposite God warned Solomon, but he refused to listen. And then the kingdom split. We have to be spiritually aware, being spiritually aware and recognize that we have a flesh that is not regenerated. We have to live remembering that and knowing that. Like Paul said, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I've preached to others that I myself would become a castaway. He said, I die daily. So here we have the Apostle Paul who had like a personal encounter with God. This wasn't just something that just kept get, get being passed down from, to him from generation to generation. He met with God and he, he didn't have a family. He wasn't married. He didn't have children. He didn't have these other any other kind of distractions in his life, and he was totally devoted. And Paul said, I die daily. He had to put his flesh under every single day. I love the heart of David. We see in Psalm 51, David had just committed a horrible sin. You know, he was watching basically porn. He was watching Bathsheba take a bath from afar. And then he sent for her. She's married. So there's adultery there. Um, they have sex. She gets pregnant. And then he has her husband killed um, on the front lines of battle. So he commits murder. He's got a lot of bad stuff going on. But David was quick to repent. And the prophet Nathan comes to David and confronts him in his sin. And David repented. And he wrote Psalm 51. It's a beautiful psalm. And it's about, um, you know, David is saying, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Um, let me be like you in all of my ways and renew a right spirit in me. And I love also, too, where he said in Psalm 119, with my whole heart I will seek you. This is a great prayer. Let me not wander from your commandments. Holy Spirit, help me to not wander from your commandments. I don't ever want to be calloused by the conviction or to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. David was not without sin, but he had a repentant heart. So what can we learn from Solomon? Don't even flirt with temptation because none of us are above it. But what, where we get into trouble is when we start entertaining a thought. Um, don't even flirt with it. Also, Solomon, he was just, everything about his life was overindulgence. There were no restrictions on him whatsoever. He did what he wanted. He took all the women that he wanted. He, if he wanted it, he got it. He had so many resources available to him um, so just because God is not against us having money, he's not against us being wealthy, he's not against all these other things, but when it's those things be take precedence and we don't use them wisely and we're not good stewards of them, just because and Solomon, it's interesting that Solomon also said this, Solomon, the guy who's like building temples for all these pagan gods for these thousand wives and, or concubines and wives that he has, um, Solomon said in Proverbs that a fool spends everything that he owns. 
Um, and so it's kind of like what he was doing. He was just frivolously spending without any kind of guideline in his life. We need those boundaries. We need guardrails in our lives. Um, See, just again, like the Apostle Paul said when addressing many of the bodies of believers there, he warned them, take heed, lest you, take heed when you stand, lest you fall. We need discernment. We can pray for discernment and the ability to know truth from error, to, know, to uh, identify wisdom and to operate in wisdom and allowing Scripture to be the final authority in our lives. We can learn to guard against idolatry, a guard, guard against those things, anything that when, uh, whenever we start feeling ourselves um, feeling really overly affectionate about something, even if it's a hobby, not that we can't have those things. Those are great. God gave us those things. But he wants to be number one. We keep Jesus in our relationship with him, our closeness with him, number one. And it's really easy, too, in times like this with, like, all the politics going on and all the things going on in the world. You know, we stand for righteousness, and, you know, we hold fast to truth and all of these things, and we stand up for what is right. In the midst of, uh, those are great, but in the midst of all of that, it's important that we don't forsake our relationship with God, our personal relationship with God, pursuing him, constantly pursuing him. And for the sake of time, I won't get into all of this, but if you're interested, you can go back and read Revelation 2 and 3, the letters um, that Jesus wrote to the seven churches. And there was a lot in there, a lot that we can learn. And here's the thing that I was, re was really interesting when I was studying these letters to these churches. They were doing so many things right. They were doing, they were enduring horrible persecution. I mean, persecution looks completely different than our persecution does today. They were enduring, they were serving, they had faith, they had patient endurance, and God complimented them on all of these things. But many of the churches, he'd say, but there's this one problem I have with you. You've lost your first love. You're not passionate anymore. You've gotten bored. Um, with another church, he said, you know, you've, you're allowing and you're tolerating the Jezebels. You're tolerating um, sensuality. You're tolerating the ways of Balaam and... Um, and the Nicolaitans, there was a lot of idolatry that they were tolerating. Even if they weren't participating in it, God had a problem with it because they weren't calling it what it was and they weren't dealing with it and they were accepting it. God, was, God is calling us to be separate. He's calling us to be different and he's calling us up higher and it's a good thing. It is a good thing because like, if you think about it like this, if, you, if there's a mirror out there and if it's, let's say the mirror is at a, di at a distance and I can see myself at a distance, but the closer I get to the mirror, the closer I can see the details and the things that I need to adjust. You know, maybe I got this hair sticking up or maybe I got some dirt on my face or there's something wrong that I just need to fix. It means I'm close. I can see it because I'm close. And I tell you what, the closer I get to the Lord, the more I pursue him, the more I read his word, the more I see things in myself in a good way. It's like going to the gym and you're lifting weights and you know that you're flexing those muscles and you're working out and it's good for you and it's healthy, but it hurts and you're sore the next day. It's kind of like that. And it's like the more that I get in the word, I feel him calling me up higher to live a higher life because I long to be closer to him. And this is how. It's how. And so um, I hope you're encouraged today, and I hope this challenges us to, to pursue the Lord and to go deeper with him because there is a deeper place. There is a higher place, and there's intimacy with him, a place where we can walk and talk and experience him in a way that we never have before. And I feel like he's calling us. 
He's calling us to that, and he has something for us. And so let's all stand as we, um, as we pray and as we go out of here, and let's just really ask the Lord to help us. <clears throat> God, we just thank you so much for your word, for your presence, for your truth. God, thank you for truth. Thank you for teaching us, God. And I pray that each and every one of us, you would speak to our hearts individually. God, if there's anything that we do need to change or adjust, God, fix that. God, let us, let us never get to a place where we don't feel the conviction of your Holy Spirit. Because when we feel that, to me, that shows closeness. And we want that, God. Help us to know what clear boundaries we need to have in our lives if we don't have any. God, help us to know what needs to change. Help us to be good parents. Help us to be good leaders in the environments that we live in. Help us to be good leaders and good examples in the sphere of influence that you've allowed us to be in, God. Help us to inspire others to love you. Inspire others to live purely in holy lives, God. God, let it be attractive to the world. And help us to be different. Help us to be separate. Help us to be set apart. And help us to know where those lines are, God. And we just thank you for speaking to us. You're so faithful and so good. And I just pray a blessing over every person here. If there's anyone here hurting today, God, I pray for healing. I pray for physical healing, God. You are our healer. I pray, God, for emotional healing and spiritual healing. God, if there's any loss needing direction, God, I pray that you'd bring clarity any hurting in their heart, I thank you that you are healing of the broken. You're the healer of the broken. And um, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know the Lord, that's never given your life to the Lord, that's never made that commitment, never repented of your sin and turned and changed from those ways, given your life to him and asked him to come in and live in you, uh, I just want to invite you to do that right now. And we're all just going to pray this together. Let's say, Father... I come to you right now, and I thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for taking on the punishment of my sin so that I could be free and saved and spend eternity with you. And from this moment forward, I repent and turn my life around, and I choose you. I choose to follow you and live my life for you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys for listening to me today. Um, it's going to be a great 2021. Amen. And uh, you go out and have a great day, a blessed day. And I believe Pastor Scott will be back next week. Bye-bye. Oh. <laughs>